Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 it's a fact if the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average american the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all not because they're more deserved but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them and once in their hands they work it to their self-interest the host of get rich slow Jim McAleese believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning and welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money school for financial wealth. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. To look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want to see not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated. We're Securities and Investment Advisory Services, or other through Next Financial Group Incorporated. Which is a member of FINRA and Civic. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, welcome to our crazy weather condition. After a rainy week, we finally have a sunny weekend. But the temperatures will be in the high 80s and the low 90s. Definitely party pool weather. You know, if you have a, if you have a pool. But if you don't have a pool, it'll still be a wonderful sunny weekend. And we will really enjoy it. The rains have kept the uh, grass growing. Whether the grass was in your front yard or in the hay field. Uh, this has kept people from uh, busy mowing their lawns whether they can find a dry spot or not. And in the country, farmers have generally planted their fields and plants are starting to, to sprout now. And this virus has kept a lot of people home and has probably helped with a, you know, fixing up stores around the house. But now we have to start getting inventive regarding the summer activities like uh, camps for the kids, uh, 4-H or scout camps and county fairs, and movie theaters, and what's the procedure? Uh, what's the procedure for uh, travel? What's the procedure for visiting the grandparents? Uh, 
you know, it's, it's going to be a while to, to work out the new processes, but somehow we have to figure out how to do these things. They were always part of trouble. But, hey, we'll get there. We just have to watch and see what works and and, uh, and uh, what the new rules are. A lot of the big companies are talking about bringing their workforces back into the office in September. And, of course, that'll be enough. <laughs> That'll be another fun event. With uh, uh, temperatures in the 90s this weekend, maybe we can find a shady spot, you know, with a breeze uh, to uh, help us think about our financial plan and our financial goals. This was generally a good week for global equities with the U.S. and the European Union up. And Asia was kind of mixed. So that the developed countries are making real headway you know, opening their economies. And most of the uh, processes due to the vaccines in the United States with over 50% of the adult population fully immunized with two shots. Uh, that's according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention and, that's, and also the Wall Street Journal. The number of new uh, COVID cases has fallen to below 20,000 over a seven-day average. On Thursday, in fact, the number of new cases uh, was basically, I think, 15,030. So it's getting down there, and it's a matter of the, uh, getting vaccinated, and uh, the vaccines are really helping us win this war. In addition, the number of COVID deaths is down sharply. The average number of COVID-19 deaths in the U.S., has fallen to its lowest point in more than a year, which is a fresh sign that vaccinations are lessening the worst effects of the pandemic. The seven-day average for newly reported deaths fell to 432 on Thursday. That's according to a Wall Street Journal analysis of data collected by John Hopkins University. The figure hasn't been this low since late March of last year in the early days of the pandemic. And also, hospitalizations have been consistently falling with the latest data posted by the Department of Health and Human Services. That's showing 23,240 COVID patients in hospitals across the entire United States. That's down from 39,810 a month ago and a high of 142,000 273 in mid-January. So uh, the vaccinations are helping win the war against the COVID, and they're also helping lift all the restrictions. And then we can now see people getting out like they haven't done in over a year. The economy is showing signs of a boom in the recovery and increased sales and orders and increased employment, but not as much as expected. The economic data this week was generally positive, but somewhat mixed, particularly with regard to the employment numbers for May. The employment numbers were less than expected, possibly indicating that the recovery either isn't as strong as estimated, or other obstacles are holding back workers. For instance, obstacles like child care demand, uh, skill mismatch, or the uh, 
unemployment benefits that are maybe too high. So if we take a look at the employment situation, uh, which is the big news this week, um, the Department of Labor in their employment situation report for May showed that non-farm payrolls increased 559,000 in May, and the private sector uh, jobs increased 492,000. So they're basically uh, lower numbers than anticipated by about anywhere between 100 and 200,000 compared to the previous months, for instance, like March, March was uh, an increase of 785,000. April was 278,000. And May was 559,000. This shows that the economy is still grappling with problems as we push the COVID out of the way with these vaccination campaigns. Employers are pressing to get uh, uh, workers in line with a resurgence in demand. Uh, May may be an inflection point in the reopening of the economy because increased uh, coronavirus vaccination rates, more social activity, and fewer business restrictions across most of the United States. Uh, Looking at at the data, restaurants and bars reported the largest payroll increase with a gain of 186,000 jobs in May. The payroll gain still leaves the U.S. labor market 7.6 million jobs short of pre-pandemic levels. Uh, A broader improvement in the labor market requires faster job growth among the service providers like the leisure and hospitality industry uh, that have suffered a more lengthy disruption from the health crisis. Our average uh, hourly pay for the private sector employees increased by 15% to $30.33 in May. Uh, hourly raises, wages rose 2% from a year earlier. And I think in a lot of cases, it's probably more than 2%, essentially because uh, the business owner, uh, if you don't have the help, uh, you can't service your clients or your customers and people come in and they leave and uh, they don't make the purchases because you don't have the products necessary that they're looking for. So uh, you have to decide whether uh, you're going to uh, tow the the wage line or whether you're going to uh, give extra bonuses and things of this nature uh, to get the money people uh, in uh, working so that... uh, uh, you can service your clients and customers. So, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it's a uh, case where I, I don't think uh, 15 cents an hour really represents it. Economists predict that the labor market won't fully recover until next year, uh, despite signs of robust demand for workers. Uh, the Federal Reserve and uh, other policymakers at federal markets well, basically, they're watching the pace of hiring as a key indicator of the strength in the overall economy. Um, if you take a look at the uh, the unemployment rate, 
the unemployment rate in the report fell from 6.1% in uh, April to 5.8% in May. That's a heck of a lot better than what we saw in April of uh, 2020, a year ago. The unemployment rate at that time was 14.7%. So what we're seeing is that uh, we're making progress, but it's kind of, uh, kind of difficult. Uh, January, we saw an increase of 233,000. February, 468,000. That's the increase in, okay, 785,000 in March. And then a big decrease in April, the 278,000, and then uh, an increase in May of 559,000. The data may uh, help assuage concerns at the White House that the labor market recovery has stalled and that uh, policies such as uh, extra unemployment benefits for keeping significant numbers of workers at home. Uh, basically, there's a, a huge controversy with regard to uh, limiting the unemployment benefits. The unemployment benefits that the federal government generally gives is a $300 uh, bonus per week in, in addition to, approximately to an average of $320 uh, a week in uh, state unemployment benefits. So. Uh, you might be talking. Uh, uh, you might be talking somewhere in the order of six hundred and twenty dollars a week uh, in benefits, plus the child care uh, benefits and things of this nature. But you can push it higher, and for two people unemployed, it might be a good sum of money. Uh, more than twenty states have decided to end uh, federal supplemental jobless benefits uh, early. At the same time, the uneven progress across industries suggests that the, uh, the challenges remain. In other words, uh, when you look at the numbers, certainly somebody who's, who's lost a job worth $100,000 a year is not worried about uh, what's going on in the unemployment. They're, they're, that's not holding them back. They're looking for another $100,000 a year job. But if you're down in the $20,000 a year range, then this is a big issue. Economists have pointed to a variety of other factors that could contribute to the constrained job report. These issues uh, include some workers' concern about uh, contacting or contracting or uh, contacting the coronavirus child care responsibilities and preventing some parents from returning to work and the federal supplement for uh, uh, recipients of unemployment benefits. That's another concern. So in the big picture, uh, we're talking about uh, the public sector as well as the private sector. And in the private sector, um, they gained 492,000 jobs in May to a workforce of 123 million. Uh, and then in the government sector, uh, they added approximately, I don't know, I think it was just, uh, a logo over the actual individual uh, cases. And the federal government lost 11,000 jobs 
and the federal government has a workforce of 2.9 million. Of course, that includes the Postal Service as well as the Armed Services. State governments added 45,000 uh, and have a workforce of 5 million. And a lot of the 45,000 were in the education uh, system. And the local governments added uh, uh, 53,000 jobs out of a total of workforce of 13,700. And a lot of those jobs were also in the uh, education, uh, both local education as well as uh, charter schools and things of this nature. So if we take a look at uh, the private sector, which has, which produces goods, what we're seeing is they classify that as manufacturing, construction, and mining. Manufacturing added uh, 43,000 jobs to a workforce of 12 million. Construction added a uh, loss. This is hard to believe. The construction lost 20,000 jobs at a workforce of uh, 7.5 million. Because from what I've seen, uh, the uh, the construction, the residential construction uh, area region has been going flat out. In other words, they can use all the help they can get in terms of uh, both manpower and also um, uh, reducing the cost of uh, lumber and fixtures. And, in other words, if you're building, if you're a home contractor, we have some of these home contractors as clients. It's a matter of uh, you're starting to be a warehouse. In other words, you order things and the order comes in, and uh, there's a lot of back-ordered things in there. So you really can't get started because this is missing or that's missing or something else, and you have to run around and, and find these things from alternate sources, or uh, you just delay the start of the house until you've got the... the, the uh, the parts and, and uh, pieces that are necessary for completion. Then in mining, mining was, was kind of neutral this this uh, month, May. But if, if we take a look at the uh, private service providing sector, and that includes uh, just about everything from retail to wholesale trade to transportation, warehousing, financial, professional business services. Um, Educational and health services and leisure and hospitality, they increased 489,000 uh, jobs in May. And if we take a look at the individual breakdown, employment and leisure and hospitality increased 292,000 uh, in May. And uh, if you take a look at how they're situated versus where they were a year ago, they're basically employment and leisure and hospitality is down two and a half million jobs. In May, and the increase in public and private education uh, reflected the uh, continuing uh, resumption of in-person learning and other school-related activities. So employment rose by 53,000 in local government education by 50,000 in state government education and 41,000 in private education. Uh, healthcare and social assistance added 46,000 jobs in May. You know, we're, we're talking about 
you could, these are fairly big numbers, but when you took a look at the number of workers that we have in the United States, in the private sector, you're talking 120 million workers. So uh, the, the numbers we're talking about are still, percentage-wise, are still fairly small. Um, employment and information was 29,000. And uh, uh, manufacturing, employment rose 23,000 in May. And if you take a look at how employment and manufacturing has done uh, over the, uh, the pandemic, it's down uh, 509,000 jobs from its level a year ago, February a year ago. Uh, transportation and warehouses also added 23,000. But uh, uh, compared to February a year ago, they're still shy of 100,000 jobs. Employment and uh, well, well, wholesale trade increased about 20,000. And uh, they're shy of uh, 211,000 jobs from where they were in uh, February of 2020. Construction that went down again. Uh, had my say on why I don't believe that number, uh, reflecting a job loss in. Okay, here it is. The job losses in non-residential uh, construction. So, um, they're, they're, in terms of residential construction, they're going flat out. But if you take a look at. Uh, uh, the employment and construction over the last year, they're down 225,000 jobs. So there's a lot of catching up to do. And then, of course, hey, we've all been out and working, and, and what we see is that uh, companies will get by with what they can. And uh, uh, after a while, after the, let's say a year from now, uh, the economy will be in much better shape and uh, it'll be a much more robust economy. And at that time, they'll start to bring along a lot of uh, over, typically overhead-type jobs in the, in the, uh, in the back office-type uh, jobs that uh, they, they skimped on before. And employment and professional business services, they added 35000 but uh, they're they're down 708,000 from a year ago. So retail trade changed very little. They were down 6,000. And uh, if you take a look at where they're at now relative to a year ago, they're down uh, 411,000. So the data or the information from the uh, Department of Labor really shows that uh, people are going back to work, but uh, they're not going back to work at the, the rate that was originally expected, So, which is not a big thing, not a terrible thing, because these are, these are all estimates. In other words, the, the economists look at the economic data, and they estimate this and that, and... Uh, uh, these are estimates versus the actual government uh, reports, which do tabulate uh, all sorts of uh, uh, industries and all sorts of jobs. You can go down into the um, 
manufacturing area, and you can see that uh, uh, one of the biggest uh, manufacturing increases was in the motor vehicles and parts. Uh, they increased 24,000 in May. But then you, you, there's all sorts of uh, wood products, non-metallic uh, minerals, uh, fabricated metal products, machinery, computers, electrical. They keep track of just about everything in great detail. So yeah, you've got to give that uh, credence in, in terms of these estimates. that people say the estimates. The, uh, the, uh, we estimated that there should be higher than that. Uh, time will tell. What we're seeing is, is people are coming out in droves. Uh, the earnings of the companies are up. Which, you know, you finished up the uh, second quarter earnings results about uh, three weeks ago, and they were good. And uh, uh, the forward projections were outstanding. So what we're seeing is that... Uh, uh, the economy will, uh, it, has the, it has the scheme to, get, to move faster, and it will probably pick up speed as we go through the summer. So uh, talking about the big picture is one thing, but actually when we take a look at uh, our picture, you know, in, in dealing with clients and in dealing with uh, People's financial plan. Uh, some people are, some clients are, are dealing with uh, trying to get started. They're young and, and the uh, grandparents are probably, uh, probably the clients originally. And uh, they're looking at uh, things like gathering the money for a uh, down payment on the house and worrying about where house prices are going. And uh, they haven't got the money for the house yet, but uh, and then you've got other clients who are at the other end of the spectrum who are um, involved with uh, moving money around to uh, to try to anticipate the, uh, the new taxes that Biden is talking about with regard to you know the people that make over four hundred thousand dollars or the capital gains. Uh, at uh, at uh, you know, normal tax rates, which are probably, if you're in the one million dollar a year category, you're in a forty percent tax rate, a forty three percent. So what you're really looking at is uh, methods of moving that money now before those um, uh, new laws occur. You know, which should be around September. So. Uh, to me, uh, we talk. We take a look at the big picture, but we, we when we talk to our clients, they have all sorts of different uh, problems, all sorts of different uh, ideas, all sorts of different knowledge levels. Some are fairly sophisticated. Uh, some are uh, looking, uh, taking their first steps, like I mentioned. Uh, Saving money for the emergency fund, saving money for the house, the down payment, uh, talking about uh, starting a family and all the rest of that stuff. So, you know, we take a look at the, 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 the gamut from, you know, soup to nuts in terms of our clients. So, this is Jim McAleese, and if you want to uh, talk about your particular situation, you can give us a call. Our toll free 
Our phone toll free number is 1 Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultant Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim Magaly. You can give us a call. We have that toll free number. It's 1 888 Uh Kelly, did we have a call? We sure did. Paul gave us a call, and he would like to know can you explain some financial rules of thumb to follow? So, just some general guidelines. Um, he says right now he is all over the place and he needs to boost his savings for now and also for the long term. Good. All right. Hey, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, rules of thumb out there and, uh, and uh, there's an element of truth in all of them, but you, you just have to uh, Think about them and, and and actually visualize how it applies to your particular situation. You know, one of the first things is that uh, that emergency fund. You know, we found that out a year ago when the COVID situation started. You know, when the whole uh, they shut the government, they shut the economy down in March and April of last year, and. Uh, Something like uh, 10 million, 11 million people hit the bricks. And uh, that was a rude awakening uh, for a lot of people that uh, hadn't built up an emergency fund. So, what you do is uh, say, hey, if you're starting, if you're starting your financial plan, there's where you start. Start in the dirt, in the, in the foundation. And the foundation is the emergency fund. And that's uh, money that you put into the bank. And uh, how much money should it be is the most critical question, and that is subjective. In other words, if you've got a steady job and uh, you haven't been unemployed in years, then uh, you might get away with uh, three months. 
commission-based salesperson, it might be more like a year. Or if you're retired, uh, it might be like a year, too. Even though you have financial resources, uh, you might want to say, okay, I'm going to have a year's worth of building expenses in the bank, not making anything, and, but it's safe and it's, it, it's there, so I really don't have to worry about the stock market being up or down when I take it out and what the tax rules at the time are, stuff like that. So what you do is uh, you put a year's worth of money into the, uh, the emergency fund, and you, by year's worth of money, I mean enough to cover the, uh, the expenses. What does it take to run this family uh, per month? So um, a lot of people go with six months, but a year, if you can do it, is nice. It's more protection, and it's very subjective in how much, how much it takes to make you feel safe. Uh, but it should be around at least six months. Um, and uh, you know, like I said before about the retirees, they might have a year's worth of, uh, of savings in there so that if the markets are down, they don't have to take out their stock or anything like that. Um of course, the required distributions might require them to do that, but uh, uh, you know, so emergency fund—that's—that's that's the foundation of everything. And uh, another common rule of thumb is uh, you spend 50% on uh, your. This is while you're working. I'd say you got your take-home pay, 50% on the needs, and. Uh, uh, what are the needs? The needs are, hey, the rent or the uh, the mortgage or what does it cost to run the car uh, in the month and all the rest of the stuff. These are the, the real bills that have to be paid. Uh, so you say 50% of your take-home pay goes for that. 30% goes for your wants. And 20% goes for your savings. Now, that 20% is startling to a lot of people, you know, because they're looking at it and they're saying, "Well, <clears throat> if I'm if uh, if I have my 401k, all I have to do is put in enough to get to match my um, uh, match my company uh, offer, you know, my company uh, share, and you should always do that. But uh, no, you should be saving." approximately 20% of your take-home pay to put yourself in a, in a nice, secure position over the rest of your life. So that's a little difficult for people. They have to work at it more than anything else. But certainly 50% in the needs, 30% in the wants, and the final uh, 20% in investments and savings and things of that nature. And you have to be flexible. Another rule of thumb is that uh, uh, set aside uh, uh, 1% of the value of your house each year for maintenance and repairs. In today's world, that might be a little low. We always recommend 2% nowadays. And uh, so if you've got a $20,000 or a $250,000 house, uh, you're going to be putting away $5,000 a year. Uh, just in the little kitty part of the emergency fund, let's say, so that when the 
when the uh, leak appears in the, in the bedroom ceiling and, and, and things of this nature, why, hey, uh, you know you need a new roof, and new roofs are cheap. So uh, these are the things to cover the big, big maintenance projects, something like a new driveway, a new roof, things of this nature. Another old rule of thumb is to subtract your age from 100. And uh, that number is the percentage of investments you should have in stocks or stocks. The rest should be in bonds. Uh, but uh, they know that percentage really no longer works. Uh, people are living longer, and they often need the more growth that comes from the stock investments. And uh, right now, it's really fairly difficult to make any money in the bond market. And the reason for that is that, uh, um, you know, all, all strictly bonds, if you just take a look at your bond funds, a lot of them will be negative. Uh, you know, if you're talking about treasuries or investment grades, now if you do get into uh, high yield and things of this nature, okay, you can make uh, 1% or 2% in those type of uh, bond funds, but... Uh, for the conservative bond funds, it's hard to make any money at all. So where are you going to get the uh, uh, money to uh, combat inflation and to cover your uh, living expenses? So, you know, uh, these are things that uh, you have to actually take a look at the individual situation and see what their particular risk tolerance is and what their needs are. In other words, you sit down and you say, how much do I need in retirement? And you talk about, well, uh, I have this uh, money for the second home repair, and I have this money for the first home, and I got some money that I'm supplying the kids. And then you say, okay, uh, on the other hand, uh, you've got your, if you got a pension, that's good. Most people don't have pensions anymore. Uh, there's 401k, you place the pension. And so you've got your Social Security for you and your spouse. Uh, there's certain rules attached to that, and there's certain ways of maximizing that. And then you have your, uh, your uh, 401ks, and then uh, you have the things that the you know, health insurance that you have to worry about, like. Uh, uh, when do I get Medicare? Uh, the company required me to get Medicare when I get to be age 65. So, indeed, that that number, that overall sum about subtracting from 100 to get your stock position is really not valid anymore. Uh, another one is, uh, hey, uh, buy life insurance. In other words, uh, how much life insurance should you have? Well, generally, uh, depending upon your age, certainly the younger you are, the more you need. In other words, it's not unusual uh, uh, to uh, say a person that's making, let's say, $50,000 a year needs 500000 or or maybe even more life insurance. Well, uh, how do you afford that? Well, they, they, the answer generally is term insurance, and uh, uh, really need term insurance really doesn't carry you into your 70s and 80s and 
90s. It becomes too expensive at that point, but it's certainly good for uh, anybody below about 60 in the sense that it'll, you can, it's affordable. Uh, you can buy a lot of it at a reasonable price, and it can cover your... Um, it actually can cover the pay that you'll be missing if you die. In other words, you bring so much money into this household. If you don't, if you're not there, what's happening to this household? So you have to have enough of the life insurance to get there, and just a rule of thumb would be seven to ten times the current income. So um, you can typically do that with term insurance, and if you really need it, need that uh, life insurance when you're 70 or 90 years old, um, let's say you've got estate tax uh, issues and things like that you want to cover, then, hey, then uh, you get your universal life. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, how about another rule of thumb? Your uh, retirement, uh, you should plan for uh, your retirement funds equaling 80% of your um, pre-retirement uh, income. And that's a good rule of thumb. That, that's always a good rule of thumb. In fact, the, 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 you could bump that up to 100%. Because when you retire, uh, you've got more time on your hands and there's more opportunities to spend money. And you can go places and do things and those are all expensive. So what you want to do is say, okay, I want to have enough income. Like I said before, your Social Security, your... your uh, Pensions, your uh, allocations from your 401k, all of that uh, should uh, give you some some uh, uh, monthly income that will, will cover your uh, expenses right now and have the have the capability of growing with inflation. Cover make sure inflation doesn't grab you when you're 70 or even you're 80 or 90 years old. Okay, so. That's the answer to that. I hope, uh, hope that was successful. Uh, Paul, uh, this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call on our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Okay, this is Jim McAleese, uh, the show is Get Rich Slow, and uh, you can give us a call over our toll-free number, is 1-888-281-1110. You know, we just talked about um, uh, the employment picture, you know, and the employment picture uh, previously uh, in the uh, Past years, we talked about the uh, the uh, job allocation report, and uh, that shows that there are millions and millions of ads out there for positions, and uh, uh, that's one of the reasons why this particular jobs situation report that showed only basically five hundred and ten thousand 
uh, I think it was 556,000 workers, uh, uh, was, was May's number. And that was confounding because there are millions of jobs out there. Uh, in fact, if you take a look at what's happening in different sectors, uh, what we're seeing is that uh, the Institute of Supply Management and their uh, manufacturing index, now this is not quantitative data, this is qualitative data. And by qualitative data, I mean that they, they, they uh, talk to managers and executives in uh, probably about 4,000 uh, sectors of the economy, and they get the feedback as to um, how this month related to last month. Was it better? Was it worse? Was it about the same? And they talk about different aspects, such as the employment, orders, production, backlog, um, things of this nature. So uh, they put that out every month, and one of the companies that puts it out is the Institute of Supply Management. And what they do is take all this all this information and grind it uh, down into a single number. And if the single number is 50, that's kind of neutral. That means that this sector is not increasing nor decreasing. Uh, if it's more than 50, that means that the sector is expanding. If it's less than 50, it indicates that uh, this sector is contracting. So right now you're seeing that Manufacturing is uh, increasing, uh, expanding, because in uh, May what we saw was it increased uh, to 61.2, which which, which is a healthy uh, increase, a healthy uh, speed for the, uh, the manufacturing sector. Uh, the previous month it was 60.7, and it increased to 61.2. But just looking at one number doesn't give you the whole picture of what's going on. You need to actually see the comments to the individual managers and the raw scores that they talk about. You know, how did this this thing compare this month compared to last month? So the Institute of Supply Management puts together the report. Uh, the report was issued uh, this week by Timothy Flory. Um, who is the chair of the Institute of Supply Management Manufacturing Business Survey Committee. And uh, Flore uh, says that the manufacturing economy continues to expand in May. Business Survey Committee panelists reported that their companies and suppliers continue to struggle to meet increased levels of demand, record long lead times, and wide-scale shortages of critical basic materials, rising commodity prices, and difficulties in transporting products are continuing to affect all segments of the manufacturing economy. Workers' absenteeism, short-term shutdowns due to part shortages, and difficulties in filling open positions continue to be issues that limit manufacturing growth potential. Optimistic panel sentiment increased from 36 positive comments for every cautious comment that compares to 11 to 1 ratio a month earlier. So what you're seeing there is a lot of, a lot of confidence, and I'll give you some of the comments 
of the, the uh, managers in these particular fields. According to the computer and electronic products, uh, uh, supplier, quote, supplier performance, deliveries, quality, it's all suffering. Uh, demand is high. We are struggling to find employees to help us keep up. Chemical products say change in currency exchange rates favorably contributed to our quarterly performance, continued strong consumer demand for our high-quality products also provided increased sales. Our transportation equipment, their comments were ongoing, comment, uh, ongoing component shortages are driving dual sourcing and longer-term supply plans to be implemented. So just about every, you know, we've seen this for months now, that uh, they're working their way, all the companies are, are working their way through what they call good management problems. Well, a bad management problem would be, hey, um, we don't have any customers and uh, the rate we're spending will be out of business in six months. A good um, management problem is, hey, uh, they can't deliver, the suppliers can't deliver the products and the quantity we want and the schedule we want, and they're gouging us for price increases, which is happening up and down the supply line. In other words, the, the orders have gone up. Uh, the production is, uh, is increasing as fast as they can. Backlogs of orders are, are increasing. People are being hired, and uh, uh, there's a wonderful opportunity for price gouging there. You know, hey, uh, what do you, when do you want it? How much do you want? And when do you want it? And there's a there's a, a kind of a laughing spell here, and then uh, we can get you this much, and it's going to cost you this much. So uh, it's a problem that has to be solved. So. And uh, other parts of the thing here is that uh, electrical equipment, appliances, and components, labor shortages impacting internal and supplier production, logistics performance is terrible. Uh, and furniture says business is good, but labor and raw materials are becoming very problematic, driving increases in cost. Uh, plastics and rubber. Uh, seeing a high demand and a backlog of waters. Primary metals, very busy, but still experiencing labor shortages. Um, tobacco, uh, food, and beverages. Difficulty finding workers at the factory and wholesale. The warehouse level is not only impacting our productivity, but suppliers as well. Spot shortages and delays are common due to the inability to uh, to uh, start lines or staff lines and delay at the ports continue to uh, strain inventory levels. So there's a whole lot of good uh, good management problems that are that they're going to have to be solved. Let's say between now and the start of the next year. So it's going to take time to get through these. Now, looking at some of the raw scores that the managers put out, the question is, how's your new order book look? Well, the new order, uh, 47% of the 
manager said uh, the new orders this month for May have gone up versus the other month, past month. 10% said, no, that's not the case. Uh, production, 40% said that the production has increased this month versus last month. Uh, backlog of orders, 50% say the backlog of orders is growing. And 8% said that uh, that's not the case. New export orders is more moderate, more moderate and that there's only 17% said that uh, there's been an increase, where 6% said that there's a decrease. Employment is even more balanced in the sense that 21% say they've increased employment in May. 18% said they've decreased it. One area that everybody's in agreement, two areas actually, uh, one area is prices paid. 77% said that they paid more uh, this month than last month, and 1% said they paid less. And supplier uh, uh, deliveries, uh, 59% said that this month was slower than the preceding month, and 1% said it was faster. <laughs> so, so it's just a matter of... Uh, you know, the, the manufacturers are doing uh, is doing well, and we're they're solving their management problems just as fast as they can. And uh, another organization who also comments and analyzes data on manufacturing as well as the service industry is the IHS Market Corporation, and uh, they came out with their report, which is. Uh, using an entirely different methodology than ISN provides a uh, similar uh, conclusion. According to them, the seasonably adjusted uh, market corporation U.S. Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index posted 62.1 in May up to 60.5 in April. The increase in business activity signaled among U.S. manufacturers is among the strongest in the 14-year series history. Uh, contributing to the uptick in the headline figure was a significant expansion of production during May. The increase in output was widely attributed to stronger client demand and further uh, marked rise in new order inflows. The accelerated pace of growth and production was the second strongest since 2014. That said, component shortages and supplier delays are reportedly continue to limit operating capacity and stymie the output. So again, more of this uh, manufacturing or uh, business problems. That's all there is to it. They've got to solve these problems. According to uh, Chris Williams, who is their chief business economist at Market Corporation, summed it up with uh, U.S. manufacturers are enjoying a bumper second quarter with the PMI hitting a new high for this, for this, for the second month. So, uh, things are going along really good there. So, uh, this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This week is still the beginning of what is traditionally the time for high school graduation ceremony. The day the seniors have been waiting for. It's really a milestone in their lives. They leave the well-regulated environment of a high school to step out into the real world. Some to work, some to school, some to the armed forces. Most of them will leave home soon. Maybe to come back for the holidays, but otherwise they're gone from the next. Now it's up to them. What do we as parents want to tell them before they leave? Maybe these these things in a little poem called It's Up to You. It goes like this. I gave you life, but I cannot live it for you. I can teach you things, but I cannot make you learn. I can give you directions, but I cannot always be there to lead you. I can allow you freedom, but I can only count for it. I can take you to church, but I cannot make you believe. I can teach you right from wrong, but I cannot decide for you. I can give I can give you love, but I cannot force it upon you. I can teach you to be a friend, but I cannot make you one. I can teach you to share, but I cannot make you unselfish. I can teach you to respect, but I cannot force you to show honor. I can grieve about your report card, but I cannot make you study. I can advise you about friends, but I cannot choose them for you. I can tell you about drinking, but I can't say no for you. I can warn you about drugs, but I cannot prevent you from using them. I can teach you about goals and dreams, but I cannot achieve them for you. But I can teach you kindness, and but I cannot afford force you to be kind. You are mine, and I will always love you and take you and take you forever. So until we meet again next week, the world get rich slow. May God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. 2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.